I'm Alan Fairley, director and owner of ISL Recruitment. Our business is all about people and ambitious tech businesses trust us to help them grow by finding them great talent. We're passionate about two things, helping startups and scale-ups grow and learning from others. So we've created the Scale-Up Diaries to help share the best bits about people that we admire, helping the wider tech startup and scale-up community on their journey. Hey everybody, welcome along to another episode of the Scale-Up Diaries. Really pleased to be here today with Alicia Navarro, who I've met through jumping on some of the flown sessions, the flock sessions that she's put together, which we'll talk about more in a minute. Um, Alicia uh, is known for co-founding Skimlinks, which was then sold um, a couple of years ago, and then did some work executive coaching, and has now launched a really exciting new business today in Flame, which we'll talk more about in a minute. So, Alicia, thanks very much for for coming along and joining us today. Um, really looking forward to what you have to talk about in terms of startup hiring culture and your personal journey and story. So, um, yeah, let's let's start off, I suppose, with the present. And like I say, I got in contact with you because of getting. A load of value from the sessions that you're running at the moment so um talk a bit more about what you're doing today before we delve into that past yeah sure so as you mentioned my uh previous company uh was this quite intense uh b2b ad tech company called skimlinks and after 11 years of running that i um i left and i became very interested in the science of deep work and flow states um for those who don't know what that means, deep work is the work that you do in a state of focused concentration. And it's in that state that you not only do your most valuable work and gain your most valuable skills, but when you work uh, in that way, you end up feeling more content. It's it's the, at, at the heart of human happiness. Um, and so I became really interested in how we can scale these, these states and make them accessible to everyone. Uh, and so uh, earlier this year, I launched Flown, which is a deep work toolkits that uh, delivers all the ingredients that you need in order to achieve a deep work state every day. Uh, and so that's grouped into tools that help you focus when you work and recharge your focus when you're not. And um, uh, sorry, I've just got someone at the door knocking, but I'm going to make sure now. Sure. Sorry, uh, maybe they'll just leave it outside. Um, inconvenient timing for a knock. Uh, but yeah, the most popular product that we have at the moment is um, is called Flox, which is um, our live deep work sessions led by uh, our expertly trained facilitators. And the idea of them is that you join as you have done. You join at the time that we set with uh, a task in mind, like perhaps you need to work on a strategy deck or you need to write some code or uh, think through a complex new idea. Uh, and you work in silence uh, along with professionals from all over the world that are also coming live to work on things that matter to them. Sounds nuts because it's a silent two hours of work on Zoom, but the facilitator really makes it feel like a special event. It's well produced, there's lots of original content, and it's incredibly effective, which you may not believe until you actually try it. And then people try it and then keep coming back a lot. So yeah, I encourage everyone to give it a try at flown.com. Yeah, no, I'm definitely a, a convert. And I admit that when I've talked to my team or others about it, there's been a certain amount of nervousness in terms of, so I'm doing this thing, it's going to sound a little bit weird, but, and, and the but is very much, yeah, it, it's really valuable. And I guess, um, you know, I talk to a lot of startups as part of the work that I do. And a lot of them are, are building teams, which obviously aren't in the office full time all the time at the moment. And, and the number one thing that they're asking me is how do we make sure that people are, are productive 
when they're at home, when they're not with the team. And I guess you've got that. Um, what you're doing with Flown is hopefully giving people a sense of team or togetherness without actually being with their team. And it's definitely worked really well for me, much as it sounds weird to jump onto a Zoom call with a bunch of strangers. Actually, like you say, it's whether it's yourself or part of your team that are facilitating it, it's it's fun, but also means that you get two hours of really productive work done. One of the un uh, unintended consequences of COVID, this um new this new way of working where many of us are now working alone for much of the day and while that comes with a lot of benefits in terms of flexibility or time with our family or to do some tasks around the house or receive mail as <laughs> i almost just did but there's lots of unintended consequences in that we're social creatures and now we're suddenly thrust into the situation where we're alone a lot of the day and that can have a real impact in our mood in our sense that our life is flourishing, in the seeds that lead to creativity and problem solving, because you need novel experiences in your life in order to feel like, uh, in order for your neural, um, your brain to create new neural pathways. And if we're just in the same house all day, seeing the same people doing the same things, there's a very subtle, but but present impact to our sense of buoyancy and creativity and dynamicism. And that's the kind of stuff that Flox, um, our Flox product can help with uh, because suddenly you're meeting new people every day in a very controlled environment, so it's not weird. Um, and so it's great for managers to encourage their teams to do it. And it's not just about productivity. Like productivity is the sort of the, the most obvious benefit of it, but the truth is that as a leader, uh, you are concerned about not just the work output of your team, but their their sense of feeling connected, their sense of feeling like their day matters, because that's that's the thing that keeps them coming back. That's the thing that stops them looking elsewhere for another job. And that's the thing that really adds value to the work that they're doing on a day to day basis. Yeah, 100%. I've definitely kind of, um, you know, the, the the world of hiring, particularly in the UK, where I focus at the moment, is that there's there's lots of money being thrown at people, whether it's either to try and keep people or to try and attract people to businesses. And and that's clearly a challenge. And I think that the constant that keeps people is that sense of purpose and meaning and impact. And, and obviously a lot of the, the cultural stuff that ties around that. But that sense of belonging, that sense of purpose is clearly something that if you get it right, you can attract some really strong people to your business. And that hopefully it's also what keeps people there rather than bringing them in one door and coming out the other and, and never really moving forward. Um, so I mentioned that I was looking at some of the stuff you talked about previously and a lot of it obviously comes from your skim link days but some really fascinating stuff around culture and hiring and actually one of the things to, to dive into is a lot of the businesses that we work with they don't have blank checks they don't have unlimited resources and that was clearly um and he raised i think sort of 24 million dollars of funding at skim link so you got to the point where maybe you didn't have a blank check but you had some more resources but those early days i saw some comments from you about hiring interns, hiring grads, and not simply doing it because you couldn't afford senior people, but resulting in some really brilliant senior people within the business. So it'd be great to just unpick that a bit because I think it's a, it's an often overlooked area that startups can get some really valuable resource. And some of these don't know where to start or once they've got the people, how to develop them. So I wonder if there's any kind of key things that you learn from that approach at Skimlings. Yeah, look, I think, um... There, there are pros and cons to hiring interns or, or grads. Um, and if you go too far down that path, it can, it can be very challenging because it, 
the, the way to make hiring grads and interns work is if you really are investing in their development, their mentorship, their growth. So if you don't have the time or the resource to do that, it, it isn't a productive or, or beneficial exercise for any of the parties involved. But if you do um, very consciously work at making sure that their experience is um, um, is positive, that they're being exposed to aspects of the business, that they're being very actively managed and mentored, then it, it can be transformative. Um, and so I think the key is to hire um, uh, young people that have got, uh, you know, a real passion for the learning journey that comes from working for a startup. And then, uh, and, and, and the benefits then of them coming in, they've got incredible amounts of energy, they learn very quickly, they're um, able to flip between different jobs and different departments within the company, and then eventually they find their, their groove and they end up staying in that path. But yeah, at Skimlinks, we, um, we didn't have a lot of money in the early days, so we did uh, go down the path of hiring lots of interns and grads. We had a fantastic team lead that managed them and developed them. And over the you know ten years or so that that Skimlinks was growing and and they were with the company, they went from being grads to running you know one's now our CTO, one is that then ran North America for me and has now gone on to run commerce for Condonast globally. Um, uh, another one, I mean, every single one of them has now gone on to have an extraordinary career. And I know if you ask them all, like what was the thing that gave them that. Uh, opportunity. It was the fact that they came in at such an early stage, at such a formative stage in the Skimlinks journey. Uh, I mean, obviously, at that level, you um, I, I, you don't have the opportunity to look at years of experience or you know loads of logos in the CV. And I think there's you know, that's probably a positive because those things are pretty poor indicators of, of future performance. Um, but actually, how do you? I don't know if you've got fifty interns, they're all applying. I know you talked about a little bit of kind of creating friction to make sure you weren't engaging with people that weren't serious about applying, but whether it's either that or other things, how did you make sure you you sort of put people through the funnel to get the right thing at, that you could work with at the end of it? Well, th this time around at Flown, we, we've done the same thing. So we, we brought in, I mean, we're still a small company of about 11 people, but we had three people that came in uh, as juniors. And the process that we use is one that my sister, who's my co-founder and CEO brought in, which is the video interview. Yeah. So you get them to do just a short, a very short video, a couple of minutes where they answer a couple of questions, but that really can tell you quite a lot. It shows you if they're really interested in the job, um, but you also can screen um, candidates much, much quicker than you could if you had to interview them all. Um, you also give opportunities to people that you might not have, that might not have sung in CV format, but yeah. on a video, when you can see their personality and their originality and their humor, uh, you can spot talent that you might have missed otherwise. And finally, it's easier to screen for culture fit because you can get a, a sense of someone's personality and their values, even in a brief video, which allows us to screen for culture earlier than we might otherwise have. So yeah, it's been it's, it's been a fantastic way for us to get a very diverse group of people that we probably would not have necessarily found if we had just been looking at CV applications. Yeah, I think on the CV, you always gravitate towards whether they go to university or what degree do they get or, and things that um, that make you feel good in one way, but probably in the longer term aren't the, the best indicators. Um, just to expand a little bit on that point around um, getting a sense of the values and what's important to them. And you mentioned about being able to bring in 
a diverse set of people to that. Um, is there anything deliberate you do to make sure that you're not um, picking people like you? So if you and I like drinking red wine and we talk about that, and actually that's what makes me think that you share my values, but actually it's just that we have a similar upbringing or we have similar likes and dislikes. So I'm wondering if there's anything in particular you do to make sure that from a values point of view, you get the alignment you're looking for. Yeah, there, one of the, one of the um, expressions that I once heard and have very much adopted is that you're not necessarily looking for culture fit, but culture add. Yeah. So you're looking for people that aren't necessarily cookie cutters, um, but that have a set of values and personalities that are additive uh, and that make the whole greater than we would have been otherwise. Now, you, there still needs to be alignment in values, but value a value is not we like drinking wine. A value could be, um, you know, we like to laugh in the face of adversity. Like yeah. that is that is a, a, a very valid cultural value that you may have. Um, and so that that is something that you want to assess at. Do they look like they would laugh at things? What's their sense of humor? Um, so, you, you know, other values that we have are around, um, uh, you know, we one of our values is that we appreciate effort, but we celebrate outcome. Okay. So we look at people that um, are very are capable of being very out, outcome and output driven rather than needing to be congratulated every time they make an effort. That's a very firm cultural value that we hold. And we try to see that when we look at the videos by how they talk about the work that they did. Do they want to be celebrated for the fact that they tried hard or do they really focus on the fact that they delivered something that they're really proud of? And the um, I guess the benefit of working in a virtual orientated world is that, you know, whether it's hiring or raising funding, it can be done a lot quicker, but often we had a candidate last week who um, had a 10 day process from, you know, being put forward to role to being offered and got cold feet towards the end of it because he didn't really feel that he had a true understanding of the business and the team within it. So I'm interested where you mentioned you're 11 people at the moment um, and you want them to get a sense of the business. And, and if you get that 12th person in and they're wrong, the cost of that hire, the impact of a bad hire at that stage is is really significant. Um, yeah. And I remember I read um, something on your blog around when you're at Skimlinks going from sort of nine to 24 and setting it up saying things are going to change and going through those sort of growing pains. And I'm interested, particularly around the culture and value side of things, but also the involvement from the team. Is there anything you do to make sure your team feels involved in the process, even if it's not all 11 vote and say yes, or, or maybe that is what you do, but I'm just curious around involving the team and making sure that people come in and do give you that cultural alignment, even if it's not fitting the box of what you've already got. You know, it, it, the truth is it's a lot harder with a remote team. You know, back in Skimlinks days, we had, a, we put a lot of our personality into our office design. You walked into that office and you knew who we were as a company, you knew what we valued, you knew, you knew everything you needed to know. And then you would see the energy of the people working, you would see how they interact, you would get a real sense of things. And that would be a great way to help someone understand whether they wanted to join us or not. We're now a face on a Zoom call. Uh, it's much harder to communicate that. Uh, and so the ways I guess that we can do that in this much more constricted um, personal world that we're in now. Um, partly it's, I guess, how we talk about our values, um, what we put on our website and how we communicate them in our interviews. And then we, at, at this stage, we're still in a position where we can involve uh, quite a few people in the interview process, particularly if that candidate is very much someone that we definitely want. And it's now a matter of selling it to them rather than of necessarily screening them. 
Um, and so the team love it. I mean, I think the team, especially this at this early stage, I've made it very clear to the team, and I really believe this, that at this stage, the people that we have become the cultural blueprint for this, for, for Flown for the next decade. Yeah. And, and that's how it was at Skimlink. So people that we were when we were 15 people and under, their personalities and their values became the Skimlink's personality and cultural values. Uh, and so I've told that to my team now and said, you have that responsibility, that the way that you comport yourself, the people that you bring in, um, the the messages that we put out into the world, they are they become the blueprints for our culture for the next decade. And and that's a, that's an incredible responsibility and honor really to have. And I think the team have really taken it on board and are, are very delighted when they get opportunities to exercise that power. <laughs> and do you think the stage you're at the moment around about that 10 people is the right time to make sure you're clear on your values? Like you say, obviously the next 10 hires will be pretty key in terms of forming it. But sometimes I'm asked the question, Two of us as founders, should we write down our values and stick to those forevermore? Should we wait until we get to 20, 50? And, I, and I'm interested in what's worked well for you, either with Flown at the moment or previously with Skimlinks around how clearly you articulate and, and how, I guess, how adamant you are, these are our values forevermore and how much those evolve as you grow and scale and go through different stages. I think, so for Flown, I um, thought about and designed the values for the company uh, before I even started the company. Yeah. And and of course, they're not necessarily exactly what we have now, but I did think very intentfully about how how I wanted to make decisions, how I wanted to hire, who, what kind of people I wanted to hire, how I wanted to make decisions, like the th- which the answers to that are a company's culture. Um, and I did it very deliberately because I knew I wanted to take the lessons I had learned from my Skimlinks days and implement them very deliberately this time around. So, yeah, we uh, it was something I thought about and documented even before I did my pitch deck for the yeah, company. Yeah. And then when we closed, we, we did our pre-seed round before we um, hired the team. So I had money in the bank before I hired the team. Uh, and so when I did hire those first few people, um, I put forward, we, we had a kickoff when we first started. So we brought everyone together to um, a lovely house in Porto in Portugal. And we um, we very consciously said, right, what do we want our culture to be? And we had a big brainstorm and we talked a lot about what, yeah, what we all wanted in the ways that we worked. And then that evolves over time as we learn what works and what doesn't. So it's not, culture is not a static thing. It's always evolving. Um, but it is something that needs to be very thoughtfully managed. And it's a representation not of what you want it to be, but of what, of how you currently behave and how you currently make decisions. Um, and so if you want the culture to change, it needs to start from how you behave and how you are seen to make decisions, prioritize, um, how, you, how you're seen to prioritize, how you're seen to allocate budget, et cetera. Um, so yeah, my my advice is you don't wait till you're 11 people. It's something that you start thinking about from the beginning. You probably want to make sure it's well documented, at least by the time that you've got 11 people. Yeah. And I think that whether it's around culture or, you know, like you say, it probably is about the way you work and, and how you do things, then I think that need for documenting stuff 
and being really clear on things is so much more important now where you can't signal through the color of a wall or whatever it is about what yeah. culture is. Um, and so I think that I was talking to some founders recently and I said that um, I think writing will be a superpower of the future, both in terms of yeah. the people that you hire within a business, no matter whether they are data scientists or product people or salespeople, they need to be able to write well where we're much more virtually orientated. And I think that the businesses that do best will be able to say our core competence or a core competence of ours is writing because of the, the need to document and make clear of thing that probably would have been made obvious because of more physical signals before. That's a really, really good point. Um, and it's very interesting to me now because I'm able to compare the way that I did things my at Skimlinks versus now at Flown and the deliberate differences that I've um, that I've engineered. So at Skimlinks, um, yeah, things were documented, but mostly we communicated through decks. You know, we had, there was a lot of Google slide decks going on when we wanted to communicate an idea because it was it served as a visual accompaniment to a verbal message. You would usually be in person and able to say, "Here's what I'm thinking," and here's some pictures that illustrate that. Now that we are at Flown, a fully distributed team, communication is incredibly important because it's so easy to misunderstand, to not be clear in what you're trying to say, and it can lead to a whole, you know, a whole mess. So from the beginning, uh, one of our cultural values is that we, we communicate well. Um, we put a lot of effort into the way that we document. We have a very well-constructed uh, knowledge management system. We use Notion. Um, and every decision that we make, every task that we do, everything is really well documented on our Notion um, table. And it's it's the basis of how we work. And that is unbelievably essential uh, for when you are a fully distributed team because you need words. Otherwise, you, yeah, you, you cannot do a fully remote team without being in person. Yeah, and I think we've definitely seen a lot of companies hire over the course of this year and you know and, and sometimes that doesn't work out and, and often it's because sometimes there's a performance issue but I think often it's because there was a lack of clarity in terms of what the job was or how things work around here and a lot of that comes down to being able to document the culture and and set expectations from day one as to what good looks like exactly and make sure there's you know if there is an issue it's around someone not meeting expectations rather than someone not understanding expectations um and there can be a big difference there um to jump back into the hiring side of things so you, you talked a minute ago about when you go into sales mode and I, and I think that part of that is the the digital stuff the storytelling you're doing to attract people to you to begin with so that hopefully you're engaging with the right people um, yeah. but I'd read you talk previously about um was it a leashification that it was a part of the process at Skimlinks to make sure you kind of you sold the opportunity there and it, and it sounded like that might be a kind of an I love you email or if, I, I'm just wondering at the moment where there's a need to make sure that you're working hard to secure the talent rather than just making it a, I've got the power as the company and you need to you know prove your worth as a candidate. Then what else has worked well for you either now or over the years to make sure you do secure the people that you want to join your business? Yeah, I forgot that I had said that. <laughs> um, it's a very competitive world now for hiring, especially in London or the UK. Um, I think in some ways uh, it's going to be a little bit easier in the sense that now that many companies have gone fully remote, they are much more open-minded towards hiring people from all over the world in order to work for them. So theoretically, the candidate pool is much greater. Nevertheless, 
the search for great talent that has relevant experience is still very tight. There's, there's still a lot of demand for them. And there's just no way that we um, as early stage founders are going to be able to compete on a compensation basis with the big guys. So you've got to get creative. Um, part of it, and, and a large part of the reason, there's, I guess there's two main reasons that we can win when it comes to hiring people compared to the big guys. The first is the team culture and personality. Like uh, we we tried to hire someone uh, last week and they were really, they, they loved the opportunity. They were almost ready to say yes, but they, they decided not to because they were so enamored still with the team that they were currently part of. So if you can create a culture where tight friendship bonds are created, that is an incredible way <laughs> to both retain talent, but also to bring people in, uh, particularly after the last two years when perhaps particularly young people uh, have not had as social a time as they might have in pre-COVID days. Um, you know, at Skimlinks, a large part of the reason people joined and stayed at Skimlinks because we were such a fun team to be part of. And people didn't leave because leaving would have meant leaving their, their best friends. So that's a really key um, weapon that you have. The second um, is feeling close to the, the decision-making hub. So when you join a big company like your Googles or your Facebooks, you, you are very mindful of the fact that you are but a small creature amidst a very, very large ocean of moving parts. And you can still learn a lot. They can still be a fantastic place to develop your career. But startups are where you can see the decision-making process that's involved close up. Um, and so one of the commitments I always make to people that I hire is you will experience what it is to, um, to start a company because I will share with you how I negotiate a term sheet, how I think about um, uh, my budgetary process, how I think about hiring plans. Like if you have aspirations to one day be an entrepreneur yourself or you really value that feeling of being a key cog um, in a small wheel, no, that's not a great expression, but you know, a key part of a moving engine, then a startup is the place to be. And as a leader that's trying to hire in a competitive space, it's it's honoring that commitment to really be transparent um, and um, what's the word? You really want to you you want to uh, teach your team and share your knowledge because that is worth a lot and is what helps you be competitive to companies that may not or cannot offer that. Yeah, I think that's um, that kind of that that learning, that that mastery, that development, that sort of helping them grow, whether it's either helping them learn about what it is to run a business or helping them go through, you know, from individual contributor through to leader, then I think that's going to be a massive appeal to people that are looking for the startup market and, and obviously plays into the other way, which I think you've touched on, which is that you then need to hire for that intellectual curiosity and that um, humility as well to make sure that whether someone's coming with loads of experience, big corporate background, or coming in as an intern, that they are, they may have some strong opinions, but they're loosely held and they're actually coming into an environment where they are humble and willing to learn rather than even if they've had a big title previously, assuming they know exactly what will work for you and your startup. That's a really good point. One of the number one, well, probably the number one thing that we look for, particularly in young talent, is coachability. Yeah. Are they open and humble and eager 
to learn and be developed. Because if they come with attitude or ego or a fixed mindset, they're not going to be right at a startup. Any um, any tips or tricks for how you gauge that? Again, I suppose maybe previously it was taking them for a coffee before the interview and seeing how they interacted with the person that was serving it. But anything that you do now to try and look for that? Yeah, we, we give them a task. We give okay. them a task either uh, in order to prepare ahead of the interview or during the interview. And then we give them feedback on it and see how they respond. Okay. Yeah, great. And um, on the retention side of things, what is it that you're you think you'll be doing at phone to make sure that you're obviously bringing people on board but also you want to be able to keep them and that balance between having virtual interactions but then I think there's going to be a spectrum where there'll be very few companies that are 100% physical or 100% vertical most of us will end up somewhere in the middle depending on what suits us and a lot of the companies I talk to are bringing the team together on occasion whether that's every week a few times a month once a quarter and having that physical interaction um what's the the plan for you at flown in terms of how you'll bring people together to get the things that rightly or wrongly we don't think we can recreate virtually yeah i so there's what i intend and then there's what we're legally able to do yeah very challenging <laughs> covid context um, we had planned to meet, you know, in person on a quarterly basis, but obviously for the last 12 months, that's been difficult. Yes. Um, and we also are, you know, we were on a pre-seed budget, so our uh, our finances were not um, uh, supportive of us being too flamboyant with our expenditure. Um, however, the plan now is going to be, yeah, to, to do, uh, uh, the aim is to do quarterly get-togethers. Uh, we have people that are um, based all over the UK and um, we're very willing to hire across Europe. We even have one guy that's in Brazil. It's a little bit trickier for uh, for meeting on a quarterly basis, but we but we did. Yeah. We met we met last week, uh, and we very much intend to keep doing that because you're right. Like uh, human, even the companies that have been doing remote for much longer, even pre-COVID, companies like Automatic that are very famous for their um, their remote work strategy still have budget to allow teams to meet on a quarterly basis in person. It's essential. We're humans. Humans need people. Yeah, that's it. I just uh, I can't imagine a world without it. You know, hopefully we uh, we're, we're less restricted in the future. But even within the restrictions, trying to be able to maximise those opportunities is uh, is clearly important. Um, one of the things I was interested in, in picking up on with you was um, there's a few businesses recently we've hired senior roles for them. So most commonly, uh, chief technology officer. And, and often they've already had someone in that role, but the stage they're going at, maybe they've raised Series A funding, what they need is different than what they've got at the moment. And maybe the title of CTO didn't truly reflect. It was a lead developer who was called a CTO, but now they actually need a CTO who's strategic. And um, I'm sure that's an experience you had at Skimlinks in terms of bringing people in to different roles and different stages. How do you, how do you manage that from a bringing someone in and, and onboarding them, but also making sure you're not losing the people that have been really valuable to you up until that point. A really big lesson that I had from my skimming stays, and I'm very uh, conscious of that now with, um, with Flown. So one of the things that I will say to everyone I hire, even like the CTO we've, we've just hired now, um, and, I've, and I've stolen this from, um, uh, who was it? There was a Mike Harris, who was the founder of Egg. I was at a talk that he did once and what he said stuck to me. He said in his first two years at Egg, they replaced their entire management team three times. And that was a good thing 
and the, because the re, because it was an indication that they were growing so fast that they 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 continually needed new people that were um, experienced at that next level of growth. And so now, even at Flown, I will tell the team, if we're doing a good job, it is likely most of us will be out of this job <laughs> at some stage. And I use myself as an example because I made the decision at Skimlinks to step down, admittedly after 11 years, but I stepped down because I was mindful that the company was at a stage where it needed a different type of leader. And I knew that I could do it, but I was never going to be the best person at that job. I'm a much better early stage founder than a late stage CEO. Uh, and that's that's a great thing. That's a great thing that I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not good at. And I'm, you know, it, it's the right thing for the person and for the company that when at that point you make that decision and you either, some people you can develop and can scale into a new stage of the company's growth. But generally, you want someone that has um, not just the talent, but the experience of what that stage entails. And I, I just now make it really clear to everyone that we bring on that if at some stage, if we're doing a good job, what none of us are going to be in that job in the future. Yeah, again, it comes okay. down to setting expectations from the outset, doesn't it? And, and also, I suppose, if you're hiring the right people, you talked about it earlier, and hopefully they're able to adapt and go into different roles. So I remember talking to, I'm based in Bristol, and talking to one of the early um, employees at Ovo Energy, who, you know, now got new core status, hundreds of employees, and I think it had been maybe their first hire, and it had done, I say, 15 different jobs in nine years. So we'd clearly been retained within the business, but had been replaced a lot within the business as well, and they'd obviously managed to hire something with that person that meant that he could adapt and grow with them rather than they grow apart from each other, and that replacement means you're losing someone that could be a really valuable asset for the future. Yeah, I agree. I, I I think definitely the right mindset to have when you join a startup is either you will develop with the role or you'll be lucky enough that the company can afford someone super experienced to come in and mentor you so that you eventually can be that good um, at the next stage. So it's, it's like it's just a mental shift, really, isn't it? To see yourself rather than being replaced, it's that you're given an incredible mentoring opportunity. And and now, sort of doing it for the second time as a as a founder, then you went through a fascinating journey with Simlinks, and it sounds like you're on the the start of another fascinating one with Flow at the moment. And um, for the for the more personal point of view, what is it that you're doing, or um, what's your plan as a founder to make sure you're looking after yourself, to make sure you're um, adapting as you grow you've obviously got playbooks from before but I'm sure new ones you'll use so I'm interested in the, the kind of the, the more personal bit around how you're making sure that you're the best founder second time around over and above however great you were the first time around the answer to that is uh, actually embodied in the flown product okay. <laughs> so what I have learned about how to survive this marathon is all is that uh, a deep work practice is needed. And when I say deep work practice, that means yes, having opportunities to do deep work, but it also it means all the other bits, all the other um, peripheral parts that allow work to be a pleasant, fulfilling experience. So they are that you intersperse that focused work with play, exploration, learning. They're that you have opportunities to be in nature, that sometimes you do the grand gesture of getting away from your day to day so that you can work on something or think through something. It means exercising your body and mind and making sure that that's a high priority. It's making sure your work environment is economic and inspiring. 
Um, it's having rituals of accountability that add meaning and structure to your day. And it means having access to diverse people and ideas. So if you can, if you can weave all those ingredients into your work and life, work is a joy. Um, it's when any of those elements uh, is forgotten that it can start to be really damaging and, and almost cancerous to your experience. If you're, not access, if you're not keeping your mind resilient or your body resilient and strong, there's a problem. If your work environment gets you down, that's a problem. If you're always in the same place, it start, you, you, you lose that dynamicism that is at the heart of a great life and a great creative journey. So yeah, it's, it's the lessons that I have learned, I have embodied into what I'm doing now, which is rather convenient. <laughs> yeah, too. Right. I can I can definitely, as you were talking through those things, I can see that whether it's the the exercise halfway through the flock sessions that I sometimes curse when you're forcing us to do squats or the 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 accountability around the beginning and the end of it, that it's all kind of encapsulated within those two hours and obviously part of a bigger philosophy for you and a, and a bigger business as well. Um so this has been brilliant actually and I, I really love kind of capturing a lot of your story. Um, Anything else, particularly around the kind of the, the hiring and growing teams, a sort of final takeaways you would share to, I suppose, particularly for first time founders that know they're going to need some great people to help them build brilliant businesses, but probably um, are a little bit fearful of the cost of that next hire being, you know, negative rather than positive. Um, anything else that you'd share over and above what we've covered so far to help first time founders in that journey? I think one of my lessons has been, um, I, so at Skimlinks, I, I assumed that I should treat my team as a family and that's not quite accurate um, because you, you need to be in a position where you can make uh, tough decisions that are in the best interests of the wider team and that can sometimes mean um, you know, making decisions that hurts individuals. You don't mean to, but, you know, it might mean letting them go or not giving them a promotion that they had asked for or giving them hard feedback. But I have learned that being, uh, not treating them as family, but treating them as beloved, you know, co, uh, co-travelers on this journey uh, is a useful mindset shift. And that sometimes making the hard decisions or giving the hard feedback is um, actually what helps the company not only succeed, but what I've learned is that people like to work for winning companies and to win, sometimes you need to make hard decisions. So in the end, it's much better to take the short-term pain of making a hard decision than it is to hold on to someone too long or not give them good feedback or let someone step into a, a senior role when they're not really quite ready for it. Those are things that can be very cancerous and you just need to have the courage to kindly deal with difficult decisions. Yeah, I don't know if you've read uh, Radical Candor as a book, but there's definitely some of the things you're talking about there that resonate from that in terms of, you know, doing the thing that seems harsh, but in the longer term is is best for everybody um, and helping everybody on their journey, even if your journey might be from London to Bristol and maybe mine's just a, you know, part of the way Reading to Swindon, but just making sure that, um, that there's that alignment when there's alignment, but equally if the, if the paths aren't aligned, that you're, you're brave about it. Um, if, if people are interested in understanding more about deep work or about how Flown's helping people to achieve the benefits of deep work, then what would you recommend? Uh, well, obviously check out flown.com. <laughs> 
Yep. F L O W N. Um, and read the book Deep Work by Cal Newport. It's a excellent read and was clearly very inspiring to me because I started an entire company based on its principles. Um, and and there's tons of material online about it as well. I, I really believe that deep work is going to be for the next decade what mindfulness has been for the last. So if if you have in the, in the last decade started to recognize the benefits of meditation or a more mindful practice, then starting to look at how deep work as a concept can build upon that and add to a really rich, fulfilling um, work and creative life. I really recommend that. Yeah, brilliant. No good way to uh, end. So um, if you're listening or watching then please do um, take a look at what Alicia's building with, with Flown. There's some real value there or look at some of the resources she's mentioned and hopefully you've got value from uh, hearing her share more of her story today. Thanks so much. Lisa. Great for you to join us.